Today on the Matt Wall Show, it was an epic battle for free speech at Twitter as we posted our film, What is a Woman?, and got immediately tagged with the hate speech label. But in the end, the left's attempts to yet again censor and suppress our message only backfired in a big way. We'll talk about everything that's happened in one of the most wild 24-hour stretches in the history of The Daily Wire. Also, Glamour Magazine has an interview with a pregnant man who is not actually a man at all. And Joe Biden tries to walk across a flat surface and falls on his face. What does it say about America that we have a senile dementia patient who can't speak or walk in the White House? We'll talk about all that and more today on The Matt Walsh Show. Are you tired of waiting ages for your grill to heat up? Now you can say goodbye to those tedious moments of impatiently watching the charcoal burn and say hello to instant barbecue perfection. Thanks to our new friends, at, uh, and they're very good friends already because they gave me one of these. Our friends at Grill Blazer. Grill Blazer's grill guns are designed to do everything from expertly searing your meats to lighting charcoal grills, wood stoves, outdoor fireplaces, and just about anything else you can think of uh, with high-power fire to solve your problem. Grill Blazers offers two types of grill guns. The Grill Gun Basic is a high-power propane torch designed to light charcoal and wood grills and smokers. It burns up to 3,600 degrees. It's 30-inch flame is for anything you need, uh, a big, bad torch to do. And the sous vide gun has a shorter uh, barrel, which I believe is what I have here. Perfect for professional culinary kitchen uses, from gently caramelizing brulee or other sugar fruits to rapidly searing steaks outside on the grill. Using the grill gun may result in extreme grill envy from your neighbors and increased demands for barbecue parties. They handed this thing to me, and I was just informed that this thing is uh, this thing is ready to go. So I, if I think if I pull this trigger, it fire will shoot out. And I was told not to pull the trigger. Let's find out what happens. So we know what happens if you grill if you use this in, in your kitchen. What if I grill that TV over there? What will happen? We could find that out together. I'm finding it very difficult to exercise trigger discipline with this thing. Like the the temptation just I really just want to pull the trigger and see what happens. No. I, no, I'm being told no. Then why hand me one that's loaded? This thing is ready. You know, like don't put the tank the propane tank on it. Anyway, uh, get your grill gun from Grill Blazers today and let the grilling adventures begin. Visit grillblazer.com Walsh and use promo code Walsh for 15% off your order. That's grillblazer.com Walsh, promo code Walsh for 15% off your order. Yesterday, we set out to co-opt and overshadow the first day of Pride Month. And although it didn't happen exactly as I anticipated or planned, uh, I would say that we we still succeeded. So to quickly review what we discussed on the show yesterday, here's the Daily Wire. We decided that we would uh, celebrate the one-year anniversary of our film, What is a Woman?, and ring in Pride Month 2023 by releasing the film free for everybody on Twitter. And we presented this idea to Twitter several weeks ago. They were excited about it at first. They offered us uh, the chance to buy a special event page for the film, which would have all kinds of great extra features, and it would also ensure a wide reach for the film. But then only a few days before our streaming event, Twitter changed its tune dramatically. They told us that they decided that the film is hate speech and that it violates its policies against misgendering, quote unquote, policies that they removed from their written terms of service months ago, but which they now say still exist, but in, I guess, invisible ink. ink. And they told us that um, we could not have our event page. And not only that, but if we posted the film on our own page, they would tag it as hateful conduct and disable sharing on the film and make sure that nobody sees it in their feeds. They told us that our, our only way around this, the only way to post the film and not have its reach totally crushed, would be if we censored it ahead of time by removing certain scenes that Twitter found especially offensive. And we, of course, refused that offer and instead resolved to post the movie anyway and to have this fight with them in public. I mean, if that's what they wanted, that's what they would get, and uh, they got it. And that recaps everything we covered on the show yesterday. Things were left on a bit of a, a cliffhanger. It wasn't clear what would happen when we posted the movie, if Twitter would actually make good on its threats to tag it as hate speech and censor it. What, if anything, would Elon Musk, Musk do to step in and uh, in, enforce his free speech promises? We didn't know any of the answers to those questions. We were head, headed for a standoff, and we weren't sure what the result would be. Well, shortly after 8 Eastern time last night, we found out. We published the film, as promised, in its entirety, uncensored, on the Daily Wire Twitter page. And for exactly two minutes, everything went well. In fact, there was so much interest around the film that in just two minutes, uh, 3,500 people shared it in two minutes. But then the speech suppressors moved in, making good on their threat uh, to suppress it, 
Two minutes after it was posted, Twitter slapped the hateful conduct label on it, disabled retweets, disabled uh, comments, and removed and blocked it from everybody's feed. So if you tried to retweet it, you would get a message from Twitter saying that the content uh, cannot be shared because it interferes with, quote, healthy conversations. And if that was not enough censorship, the phrase, what is a woman, was blacklisted from the trending list and removed every time it appeared there. And Twitter's actually been doing that for the past year, ever since the movie originally released. Uh, they've blacklisted the film from trending, and they kept up that policy yesterday. Now, at this point, Elon Musk started to speak publicly about the issue, though his initial statements were somewhat uh, unclear, somewhat ambiguous. Earlier in the day, he had said that the decision to censor the movie was a mistake made by many people at Twitter, and that it actually doesn't violate any of their policies. Yet, in spite of, of those statements, it was restricted and censored anyway. In response to that, Elon said last night that the problem would be fixed, that the hateful conduct label would be removed, and that sharing would once again be enabled. But he also, in a series of responses, said that the, uh, the movie would be advertiser-restricted, and since it's sensitive content, quote-unquote, it won't be, quote, pushed to people unless they ask for it. Now, it was unclear what exactly any of that means. And, and uh, at any rate, even as he said all this, the movie was at that moment being actively suppressed by Twitter. So what does advertiser-restricted mean? Does it mean that advertisers control what content Twitter users can see? And if that's the case, then how can Twitter be a free speech platform if, if advertisers control it? And what does it mean that what is a woman is sensitive content? How is it sensitive? Anybody who uses Twitter knows that some of the most vile, obnoxious, grotesque, actually offensive content um, regularly makes it into your feed from accounts you don't even follow. I have on many occasions, as we all have if you use Twitter or really any social media site, uh, you know, I've, I've seen videos of people dying. Okay, videos that pop up in my feed automatically play. I don't want to see them. And I'm just scrolling along. Next thing you know, I'm watching somebody die. And that's apparently not considered sensitive by Twitter. And of course, I see all kinds of content from the other side of the trans debate, none of which is ever labeled sensitive or hateful. Why would our film, which simply asks questions to people on both sides of the issue, be singled out in this way? And why would this happen on a platform that has newly professed its commitment to free speech? So these tweets from Elon were confusing, and the actions that Twitter was actively taking against our film were disturbing. But the picture was made more complicated by what we were hearing privately. You know, the whole Daily Wire team was at the office late last night trying to coordinate our strategy, you know, kind of a wargaming, you know, talking about how to fight back against this censorship. And we were all uh, getting texts and calls from sources that we know who know what's happening behind the scenes at Twitter. And word was coming in from many different places that Elon was, according to a lot of these sources, Elon was furious at his content moderation team. Uh, because of this censorship, that heads were rolling at Twitter headquarters over this. It was perhaps perhaps not a coincidence that at this exact moment, a Twitter employee from the brand safety team publicly announced his resignation from the company. This employee, Mai Ayed is his name, has a history of posting tweets scolding and mocking white people, which is not exactly the sort of person who should be involved in ensuring brand safety, whatever exactly that means. But if these are the kinds of people who are leaving the company probably a good sign. There was no clear resolution then on the issue last night. It was kind of still up in the air. We weren't sure what was going on. But we woke up this morning, uh, things had changed. At some point overnight, the hateful conduct flag was removed from the film and sharing and retweeting was enabled. I started getting messages from people saying that uh, not only could they share it, but the movie was coming up in their feed. And a few hours later, as the ultimate capstone on all of this drama Elon Musk himself shared the film from his account with a caption urging every parent to watch it. So it was, a, uh, it was a wild ride for 24 hours. It began with Twitter censoring the film and labeling it hate speech, ended with the owner of the company tweeting his endorsement of the film and urging people to watch it. Um, so how do we make sense of this? Well, when it comes to Twitter, I think the most reasonable interpretation is that Elon Musk is still fighting with the leftist radical elements in his own company. You know, they're, they're, they are deeply embedded in the company, as they are in every big tech company. And given how everything worked out, it seems clear that Elon intended for the film to be distributed uncensored on the platform, but the woke elements inside the company stepped in to sabotage him. In fact, um, this morning, Elon confirmed that the resignations on Twitter's trust and safety team 
where he said directly related to all of this, the film, the controversy surrounding it. So, which means that on top of everything else, what his woman has accomplished, it also appears to be helping to separate the wheat from the chaff over at Twitter headquarters, which is a, a major accomplishment in its own right. We can assume, you know, that there are likely more woke foxes in the hen house, but the good news is that they're being rooted out, they're being exposed, which is all uh, very encouraging. The other lesson that we learned is one that we've learned many times in the past already, which is that on this issue, and really any other issue, the left cannot win in a fair fight. They, they cannot meet us out on the field in a pitched battle and hope to prevail. They suppress and censor and deplatform because they know their position is insane. They know it can't be intellectually or morally defended. They know their arguments are laughable and flimsy. They know that their claims fall apart under the slightest scrutiny. If open, here's, here's the truth. If open discussion on this topic of gender ideology, if open discussion was allowed everywhere, okay, if everybody could just say what they think about it everywhere, on all the platforms, everywhere in life, you're not going to be censored. You're not going to be fired from your job. Um, you're not going to be arrested if you live in Canada. If open conversation was simply allowed, their side would be crushed into oblivion in less than a day. Okay, it is as simple as that. Trans ideology would disappear overnight if the other side of the argument, the critical side, was allowed to speak openly and actually be heard without suppression or reprisal. The entire ideology hides behind a fortress of censorship because it is easily destroyed out in the open, and its proponents know that. That's why it would appear leftists at Twitter were willing to sacrifice their jobs for the sake of shutting this film down. They broke our agreement. They publicly defied their own boss. It's an act of self-immolation, professional self-immolation, putting their careers on the line all in an effort to prevent people from seeing this film and hearing the other side. That is, uh, that's how terrified they are. And in the end, it was all for nothing. We win. You know, I, I will admit, um, and I wouldn't usually admit this kind of thing, but I will admit that throughout all of this, I did feel a bit demoralized for a time because even though I'm used to it by now, I know how these people operate. It can still be, if you're a human being, it can still be deeply frustrating to meet these artificial roadblocks every step of the way. You know, it's one thing to have the other side arguing against us. We embrace that. We want that. But they won't argue. That's the frustrating thing. They won't argue. All they ever do is try to shut you down, silence you. They refuse to play the game on a level field. They just refuse and after a while, the constant onslaught of censorship, suppression, demonetization, all the schemes, you know, you're always running into something else. Every day, it's another thing. And it gets exhausting. With this film especially, it's been relentless. The movie's been deplatformed, banned, censored, blacklist, blacklisted. Like, you, you can't even organize a watch party for this movie um, on, uh, on, on certain platforms, on Eventbrite. Uh, like that's how that's how thorough the deplatforming has been, and it's been that way ever since its release. Mainstream film critics refuse to even review it. Okay, you remember that from from last year? We sent them screeners; they wouldn't even watch the screeners. And it, it has reached an enormous audience in spite of all that, and had a massive impact. But in, in my more cynical moods, I sometimes think about how much more of an impact it might have had, how many more people it might have reached, if the powers that be weren't blocking and suppressing us at every turn. Fortunately, though, as I was feeling slightly discouraged last night, I had my therapist, uh, Jordan Peterson, on hand to offer some counsel. And he said something that put it in perspective. He said that when you speak the truth, whatever happens is the best possible thing that could have happened. And in other words, th there's no use lamenting the consequences of speaking the truth, because if you do not speak it, if you remain silent, then the results will always be worse anyway, ultimately. And he's obviously right about that. In fact, proving his point, now that the censorship has been lifted and Elon has posted the film himself, uh, it's fair to say that, that more people will see it and hear about it than would have if the left had never attempted to shut us down in the first place. Pro probably millions more. So it all backfired. The truth wins out in the end. They won't play fair. They never do. 
But even in the rigged game, when it comes down to it, they still lose. Now let's get to our five headlines. Have you been thinking about going back to school to finish your degree, or are you just starting your college journey, but uh, you have little time to be in person with classes? Grand Canyon University's online programs are designed to make earning your degree easy and accessible, no matter your age or stage in life. Whether you're a busy professional looking to advance your career or a stay-at-home parent juggling family responsibilities, their online courses give you the flexibility you need to learn on your own terms. Grand Canyon University specializes in helping you fit your bachelor's, master's, or doctoral degree into your busy day. From scholarships to customized scheduling, your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. So why wait? If you're ready to take your education to the next level, you need Grand Canyon University. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. That's gcu.edu. Big news to start with in the five headlines. Um, Glamour Magazine decided to kick off Pride Month with Earth shatter. I, I say big news. I mean, I don't want to. I'm, I'm understating it considerably because this is earth shattering news. In fact, this is news that, and I'm being serious, completely reshapes our understanding of the world and of the human species. I mean, this is the biggest news that has ever been published ever in the world. Um, I'm not sure if Glamour Magazine has ever broken any news before. They're not usually in the uh, the news breaking game, but. Uh, if not, they decided to start with something huge. I mean, with, with, in fact, the biggest news of all time. And it is news that a man has become pregnant. They, they have an interview with a pregnant man. Yes, a pregnant man, an actual pregnant man. It's never happened before in history. We all thought it was impossible, or some of us did anyway. But they have this interview with a pregnant man right on the cover of their magazines. It's, it's, they're, they're jumping off. They're, they're starting Pride Month with this interview with a pregnant man. Or actually, wait a second. Sorry, slight revision. Uh, one little caveat. I, I, that's, I, I should clarify. It's li- little clarification. Uh, when I say pregnant man, it's a, it's a trans man, uh, a pregnant trans man. In other words, a woman. So it's a pregnant woman. Okay, so we, we went from pregnant man to, okay, it's actually a pregnant woman. So... All right, so this went from a groundbreaking historical event that would change our perception of reality to something that's happened literally billions of times in the past. A woman got pregnant. Which, I mean, congrats. Like, every, every pregnancy is a, is, is a wonderful thing uh, because that is, that's new human life that is coming into the world. But uh, it, it has happened billions of times. Uh, a woman got pregnant because that's something that women can do. So here's the article anyway. Even though it turns out that it's not uh, earth-shattering breaking news, we'll go through the article anyway. Because people, the media is treating it, and social media and leftists are treating it like it is. So here's the article. Introducing Logan Brown, author, father, and now Glamour's June cover star. Logan Brown's a transgender man who unexpectedly became pregnant with his partner Bailey J. Mills, a non-binary drag performer in the UK, of course. Glamour's Pride issue celebrates the allyship that exists between women, cisgender or not, and transgender people through our shared experiences, in particular pregnancy, healthcare, and childbirth, something that's not often talked about with regard to the transgender community. In March 2023, Logan, a 27-year-old writer who also works as a residential children's support worker, uh, rose to prominence when he began to share his journey as a pregnant transgender man on his blog, Up the Duff Man. While his writing resonated with and beyond his, and put the air quotes around his, of course, when I'm reading this, I'm, as always, just reading you the language that they have in their article, which is the wrong language. While his writing resonated with and beyond the LGBTQIA community, Logan and his partner, Bailey Bills, who uses the pronouns they, them, and is known for their hun humor and drag performances on TikTok, were subject to rampant transphobia, particularly from another TikToker who repeatedly commented, Men can't get pregnant across Logan's social media accounts. In a display of solidarity, Logan and Bailey's followers were quick to condemn the transphobic comments, but that whole episode garnered traction online and threw the couple further into the spotlight. Yes, we must condemn. We must condemn these comments. We must condemn them for, for stating a basic fact of nature. We have to condemn the basic facts of nature. We should also condemn other basic facts of nature, facts like uh, gravity exists. And uh, I don't know, there are fish in the ocean. The earth is the third planet from the sun. We must condemn it all. Condemn it. Well, 
before we condemn it, we have to find out if, if there's anyone who would prefer for it not to be true. Okay, so if there are facts in the world and everybody is okay with those facts, then, then it's fine. Then those facts are allowed to exist and we can acknowledge them. But if there's someone who exists out there who wishes that that fact was not a fact, and in fact, especially has, has tied their identity to the perception that the fact is not really a fact, in that case, then we have to deny that fact. It's really, we, we just do this by vote. I was going to say it's a democratic vote, but it's really not because it's not even a majority. It's not a majority vote. It's just a vote. You know, it's more of a, you know what it is? We judge reality. It's like a jury. It's a jury vote. There, there has to be unanimous agreement. So we, we take all of the facts of reality, basic fundamental facts, immutable facts, facts that cannot be changed, and we present them to society. And everyone has to unanimously agree that those facts are facts. Uh, and that they like those facts and want those facts to be facts. And if there's one person who says, you know, I don't really like that fact. I wish it wasn't a fact. Then we all have to deny it. That's, that's how it works. That, that's, sci that's science now. That's how science works. Okay, now we get to the interview with the pregnant trans man, otherwise known as a pregnant woman. Um, question, can you tell us more about the transphobic TikToker and the recent pylon he caused? She says, do I have to say his name or can I not say his name? No, you don't have to say his name. She says, I just don't want to give him any more clout. I've done TikTok videos discussing the pregnancy and being open about it. There have been some hate comments uh, there, but I was easily able to brush those off. And then recently, it kind of blew up out of the blue. Another creator on Instagram who's quite well known said that men can't get pregnant and got all their followers to come over into my Instagram and harass me. Basically just repeating the same, the same men can't get pregnant line without knowing my story. What the hell does your story matter? What, what relevance does your story have to that fact? Hey, don't state these basic facts that are, that are incontrovertibly and essentially true. You know, a true, at a, a true at the most essential, like, elemental level. Don't state those kinds of facts until you've heard my story. I actually replied back nicely. I would rather educate people than respond back with hateful comments. And I said, look, here's my blog. I wrote about it. This was an accidental pregnancy, and I'm not going to change my identity just because I'm pregnant. Um, it was really difficult to deal with that because it just blew up over those 48 hours. The queer community was not happy about it at all, showing so much love to me. He lost quite a lot of followers. I don't think it did him any justice, to be honest, but I don't want to give him any more clout than what he's received because he's using his platform against trans people. We're real living people. Can I just say, can I stop this for a second? Um, so this is an interview in Glamour Magazine, which is you know, allegedly, uh, uh, you know, well, not a, it is a well-known publication. Um, and, you know, this nationally published magazine. And they're spending, a, it's a lot of real estate in this article and in this interview is being spent early on talking about one comment from one guy on TikTok. One mean comment from one guy on TikTok. A mean comment that's not even a mean comment, a mean comment that is just stating a fact. And this is what they're spending their time on. Because th this, is, this is what counts as persecution now. Now, if this woman had, had better examples of being persecuted, like if she's being chased down the street by uh, people who are shouting, you know, death to trans people and trying to tackle her and kill her and, you know, all these, if, there's, if she's the, actually subject to some kind of genocidal conspiracy, as we're often told, then they'd probably spend time talking about that. Instead, they're talking about one comment on TikTok that was stating a basic fact. But even if it wasn't, even if this was actually a mean comment, someone insulting her, oh, really, Logan, that's what you have to deal with, is one comment on TikTok? Is that, is that hard for you? Is that really hard? Like, do you have any idea over on this side of it, what your people do? I know you know. I know, you have, I know you're quite familiar. You must know. So, I mean, they, they, can, they find their enemies and they will relentlessly pursue them and harass them, uh, dox them, death threats, ruin your life, just never stopping, coming after your family and your spouses and your children. And they'll do all that and they get one comment and they break down in tears. It's the most fragile people uh, utterly and completely fragile. Uh, she continues, 
we're real living people. And at the end of the day, I'm a trans pregnant man and I do exist. No matter what anyone says, I am literally living proof. Living proof of what? What do you think you're proof of? What do you think you're proving to us? That a woman with short hair can get pregnant? That a woman who, who says the words, I'm a man, can still get pregnant? This is what these people do. They, have a, they cut their hair and they wear men's clothing and then get pregnant and say, look at that, I got pregnant. This is incredible. It's a, it's a miracle. Yeah, we're aware of that. Yes, you, you can try to change cosmetically your, yourself cosmetically to allegedly look something like a man, even though you look nothing like a man. But you can try to do that, and yet you're still a woman. We, we already know that. Your self-perception as a man doesn't actually make you a man. That's the news here. That's, that is what you're living proof of, actually. That's what you have proven. That you can say you're a man, you can cut off your hair to look like a man, you can wear men's clothing, you can go around claiming that you're a man, and yet you're still a woman because you can get pregnant. So if that's what you are claiming to be living proof of, yes, I totally agree. But this really just shows how deep the delusion goes. I mean, they, they because they actually think that a, quote, trans man's pregnancy is some kind of mind-blowing event. That's what they, that is what they have convinced themselves of. Let's move to this from the post-millennial. An educator at El Dorado High School in uh, Placentia, California, was captured on video giving students explicit instructions during class on how to have pleasure during anal sex and where to find sex toys that will stimulate the prostate gland. The video posted to the Instagram account um, EDHS Caught Lacking, this is the Instagram, Instagram, Instagram account, shows the educator sitting atop a desk in front of a classroom full of students discussing why anal sex is pleasurable for gay men. We do have that video, which is... Like, I, I feel uncomfortable playing this video because it's so disgusting and it, it's really quite explicit. Um, but this is what is being talked about in schools. Like th- this is being presented to kids at schools. And so we have to face it. And here it is. Is where the prostate is. So you don't have to go inside the booty hole. You can actually just push on the seam and that stimulates the prostate gland as well. And that, oh, they apparently really like that. Um, but yeah, so that's why for male and male, anal sex is still very pleasurable because of the fact that it hits the, it hits the prostate and there's a lot of nerve endings in your booty as well. So the girls, the G-spot, prostate, they're the equivalent to each other. But apparently that's why if you ever see like, I mean, Target has them now, sex toys. If you go to Target, seriously, if you go to Target and go where the tampons and pads are, they have, they just look like a little box. But if you open up, the, there's like a Velcro front to the box. You open it up and then bam, sex toy. And uh, you'll see them. Uh, CBS, yes, CBS has them too, a lot of them. And so that's why when you look at the, the toys, a lot of them look like this. Uh, you know, I, I can keep I can keep saying it and sound like a broken record, but I will say it every time that that woman should be in prison. Like that's a that should be a prison sentence, um, and that's what that's what I want to start hearing. You know, that's the next step, the next phase uh, for or it should be for Republicans. You know, there's been a real effort to ban this kind of discussion from classrooms, which is good. But next, we need to start saying that that the the teachers who engage in this behavior are sexual predators, um, because that's what that's what that is. Like, let's just call it what it is. This, this is not simply an inappropriate conversation for the school system, which it is. This is you are you are preying sexually on kids, uh, and you need to go to jail for that. We we will know that some semblance of sanity has been restored to this country. When we see a video like that, but instead of just cutting off, it ends with police officers walking into that room, putting that disgusting predator in handcuffs and carting her out of the room and then throwing her into a jail cell. Throwing her into a cage like an animal is what she deserves. 
That's when we know that sanity, that, when, when, when we see that, that's going to be our, uh, our sign that sanity has, has really made a comeback. You know, I, we're, we're making some progress. I think sanity's trying, trying to make a comeback, but that's how we know it will, it will have, uh, that it, that it really, that the comeback has, has started, I suppose. Uh, you know, the other, the other inter- interesting thing about that video is you listen to the class. Like, they're not even paying attention, nor should they be. This is a useless, on top of being disgusting and wrong um, and predatory uh, to be talking about this in the classroom, it's also completely useless and pointless on top of all that. It's got nothing to do with any kind of academic subject that they need to be learning about. And the kids don't, they're not even paying attention. They're bored by it. So good for them. I'm glad they're not paying attention. But what does that tell you? You know, I, I think at least when I went to school, and even though I, you know, compre- so-called comprehensive sex ed, and this is a concept that w- that really originates, as we talked about what is a woman, with Alfred Kinsey, uh, degenerate pedophile, uh, and, and it really starts with him, and he's someone who very much wanted to sexualize children. And so as long as there has been comprehensive sex education in the schools, and there has been for decades, there has been an effort in the schools to sexualize children, because that's what comprehensive sex ed is all about. Uh, and we had comprehensive sex ed when I was a kid in school, so... There were, there were plenty of inappropriate conversations going on. Not, nothing, nothing to that extent. And I think back to when I was in high school. If we had a teacher sitting up there talking about that, we, we would be shocked. Uh, there'd be, there'd be a lot of like nervous laughter and people would be shocked. And you know, that would be probably stunned silence, I think, also. But these kids are bored. They're just like carrying on other side conversations. And I think what that tells us is that they're so used to hearing this kind of stuff from their teachers that it's not even surprising to them. They're not even laughing at how awkward and inappropriate this is, as kids probably would have 20 years ago when I was in high school. For them, this is just another day at the office. This is another day in the classroom. And that's uh, maybe the most disturbing thing about it, in fact. Daily Wire has uh, this report. The U.S. Senate passed a Republican-led bill on Thursday that would put an end to President Joe Biden's plans to cancel massive amounts of student debt and immediately lift the freeze on student loan payments and interest. The Senate passed the measure on Thursday with a 52 to 46 vote, mostly along party lines. Um, Quote, this from Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell said, POTUS's uh, student loan socialism would shift hundreds of billions of dollars in debt from higher earners who chose to incur it into American taxpayers who did not. Uh, which, of course, is true. The House passed the bill last week, but as Politico reported on Thursday, neither the House nor the Senate passed legislation by a wide enough margin to override the veto that will certainly come uh, from the White House. So it's, it's worth doing, but it will be vetoed by the White House uh, because student loan forgiveness is a, it's really a moral atrocity that we're stealing, that we are, in fact, stealing money from mostly middle-class Americans and give it, it is, it is upper-class welfare. Student loan forgiveness is upper-class welfare. Uh, also remember, as I'm always reminding you when we talk about student loan forgiveness, that a huge portion of this debt, I think a, at least half of it, is, um, is owned by, is incurred by, by people, for, by graduate students. Okay, so these are people with master's degrees and PhDs, uh, and they're turning around and telling a bunch of blue-collar and middle-class Americans that they need to pay the bill. Uh, and, and not only are you higher up in your income bracket, but you chose, like, not only did you go to college and get the, under, the undergraduate degree, uh, not only did you go and get the bachelor degree, which, which often proves to be useless, but you chose to keep going. I mean, you stayed in school. You went year after year to keep compiling paper. Okay, the bachelor degree was useless. Let me go get another one, then another one. Incurring debt recklessly, gratuitously. And then you turn around and expect everyone else to pay for it. The other thing about the, the, the graduate debt is that we, we don't have the excuse of, well, this is an 18-year-old kid who signed on the dotted line, had no idea. 
By the time you go for the graduate degree, you're, you're a, you're a full-blown adult, um, and which is what makes it especially gratuitous. And you still expect everybody else to pay for it. But, you know, we, we talk about that a lot when it comes to student loan cancellation, uh, student loan forgiveness, whatever, you know, um, theft is what it actually is. So we talk about that aspect of it all the time. Um, but I think on both sides, one of the things that is not brought up nearly enough, we talk about the culprits behind all of this. Uh, there's, there's very little scrutiny, and I've talked about this before, but there needs to be more discussion about the, the employers. Okay, they, they are also culprits in this. They're, they're, they are one of the villains in this story. Yeah, you can point to the university systems themselves. I think our culprit number one. But somewhere on the top three list are the employers, the jobs, the, the companies that are driving this um, and, and putting all this artificial value on these degrees by requiring degrees for positions that don't really need them. That's not the case for every job. Obviously, there are jobs where you need some form of, quote unquote, higher education. Everyone acknowledges that. If you want to be a doctor, if you want to be a, an engineer, an architect or something like that, then there's going to be you know, continued education that you need to get for that. But the majority of jobs at the entry-level position, there is no reason why you need any kind of degree. Because the majority of jobs, uh, you are going to learn on the job. So whether you go into the job with, uh, with a degree and a, and a master's and a PhD, or you go in straight out of high school, you're both starting at zero, basically, when it comes to understanding how to do the job. You're going to learn on the job. That's how most jobs work. And your ability to do a job, it's going to be all about uh, how hard you work, how well you're able to, to learn the job, your skill set, all these things. And you don't learn any of that in school. And of course, the employers know that, but they require the degrees anyway. It's just pure, it's like, it's laziness on the part of these HR, HR departments. They don't want to have to actually, you know, um, consider all the different job applicants. When they, when they require the degree, when they put this artificial requirement for a degree, it gives them an excuse to take a bunch of the resumes and applications and a bunch of the potential interviewees and toss them out from the beginning. It kind of weeds out. It just, it just uh, minimizes the amount of work they have to do. I think there needs to be a lot more scrutiny there. I want to play this clip for you. This is a clip that has gone uh, viral. It shows a, a, a speaker, a scholar, we're told, speaking of scholars, at the University of Massachusetts Amherst. And he's responding to a question from somebody in the audience about the high rates of crime and violence in the black community. And now this is being shared mainly by people on the left claiming that this scholar slapped down the question. He smacked down the question. He debunked it. He embarrassed the questioner. Uh, he gave a great answer. Those, that's the claim anyway. But you tell me what you think. Listen. Are there any trends within, within the black community, such as higher crime rates or higher illegitimacy, illegitimacy rates that could explain their position vis-a-vis -vis whites and can those be explained by some dominant social group? No. No to the first one or the no second to one? No to, to both. both. So there's no I mean, it, 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 it's, there's a propagandistic mechanism that's afloat about you know, black illegitimacy and black criminality. Um, I guess it depends on what kind of crime you have in mind. Uh, if we think about which community in the United States has the highest degree of history of violence, that's un unquestionably white Americans. Unquestionably. I mean, I'm not sure if you're aware of the hundred massacres that were conducted between the end of the Civil War and World War II that were directed against black communities throughout the United States, in which thousands of blacks were killed and the white terrorists appropriated black-owned property. So there, there's no segment of the population that has a greater history of violence than white Americans. So when you talk about these kinds of matters to me, you're actually mouthing a set of propagandistic claims that are made on the right in the United States, and they do not have a foundation in fact. All right, so, sorry. Well, remember we talked about in the beginning how they, uh, the, the left, they, 
their ideas can't withstand any kind of scrutiny at all. They can't fight on a, on a, on a level playing field. And that's, it's not just on the topic of gender where that's the case. It's on all topics, and race is one of them. And this gives you a perfect example. I mean, like I said, there are leftists on social media that are sharing that clip because they think that whoever that is, the scholar, the professor, whoever it is, uh, gave a, what a great answer. Yeah, it really showed them. What? He didn't answer. The, there was no answer there. So either you're, if you are celebrating that as a great answer, either you're lying or you are an absolute moron or both. And I think oftentimes it's both. There's no answer there. The question is a good question. The question was, well, you know, we look at the comparison between black and white Americans in terms of, uh, of uh, you know, any income, um, any of these, uh, any of these qualifiers. And we're trying to figure out the disparities. Well, what about the high rates of crime and violence in the black community? Crime and violence that they perpetrate against each other. Could that have something to do with these disparities? That was the question. And he did not engage with it at all. And his answer was to go back to eight. This is what they always do. <laughs> they can't. Can we stay in present day? I mean, the interesting thing about the left is they're always, you know, it's the current year. They're always, they're always reminding us what year it is in an argument, as if that is an argument in itself. Well, it's the year 2023. So they say that, but then so many of their arguments are rooted in, in stuff that happened 150 years ago. We're not talking about 1860. What about right now? Okay, we're talking about right now, the disparities that exist right now. Uh, and he has to go back to 1860. Which even if that's true, even if everything that he said is true and it isn't, he says that uh, there's much more, much more of a history of violence among white Americans. Where do you get that? He, he just says over and over again, that's a, a statement of fact. It's a fact. Really? Says, based on what? Because you want it to be too, true? Because you wished upon a star? What are you talking about as a statement of fact? Show, show me the data on that. Really? White Americans have a greater propensity to violence, have a greater history of violence. Really? Who, who says? Yes, you can point to incidents in history of white people doing violent things. We're aware of that. Genius. We could do that with any demographic group. Um, I don't think you have any evidence that there's more of that or a greater propensity of that among white people. I don't think you have the slightest shred of evidence of that, which is why you didn't present any evidence, you dummy. Um, but even if that was true, it doesn't answer the question. If it was true that in 1860, white people were horribly violent and all they did was violence and all the other races were perfect angels. If that was true, it doesn't answer the question about right now. This is all they have. This is all they have. They cannot engage with any of these questions. Um, and so, you know, it, well, I was going to say at least he attempted to, but he, but he didn't actually. There was no attempt there. All there was was a labeling, which you saw. This is a series of uh, propagandistic claims that you're making from the right. They think that debunks it. As soon as you say something, you make a point, and they say, well, you know, a lot of conservatives say that too. They think that that automatically wins the argument. Okay, well, conservatives say it. Well, I guess they're right about this. It's like, are conservatives wrong when they say it? Do you have evidence that they're wrong? I have something, uh, something disgusting to play for you. Uh, these videos are, are popular now on TikTok. They are, um, they are uh, what I eat in a day videos. And uh, it's not what about what I eat in a day. That, those are the titles of the video. And they feature fat people, usually fat women, documenting all the things they eat in a day. Uh, and this is a big, it's a big trend on TikTok. You see these videos all the time. Proudly documenting what they eat. And then they're, they're cheered on by others on the platform for being so proud of their fatness and so unashamed. And let's just watch one. I, this was circulating on Twitter. It's one example of these videos. Go ahead. All right. 10 a.m. toast and potato scones with ketchup and a Coke Zero. That's what she starts with. I think those are second meal. We missed our first meal. When did McDonald's change their boxes? 11.30, nine chicken nuggets no with ketchup and a Coke. It's an hour and a half later. 2 p.m. spicy chicken wrap with cheese garlic bread. 3 p.m. a bagel with butter and juice. So she, she's eating a whole meal every hour and a half. 7 p.m. pizza bagel and waffles. 
8.30, brownie. Then another the cheese, more soda, yogurt. My God. Oh, and then she drinks the water. Uh, and chips. 12.30, chocolate. Chocolate, Twizzlers, and jelly beans. Dear Lord. Uh, so basically, she, that's only, only, she's living on only carbs and sugar. There's an entire diet of carbs and sugar, which she, uh, and there's no real nutritional value there. So that's one of the reasons why she's eating every hour and a half. She's stuffing her face every hour and a half because it's just, it's like, there's, it's nothing. There's no, it's just, it's, it is only carbs and sugar. Uh, there's no actual substance to the meal. So there's stuff that'll make you fat, but uh, nothing that can really like keep you alive for very long. Now, I think what you learn from these videos, and this is uh, this is just one manifestation of this of this overall trend, is that we've basically dropped the um, obesity is genetic stuff. You know, obesity has nothing to do with diet, all that kind of stuff. We heard that for a long time, um, and this was kind of back before. You know, this this this. And you always see this trajectory with with leftism. So there, there was a, there was a time when it wasn't so much that we were celebrating fatness, but we were excusing it. So it used to be we make excuses for obesity. We don't really celebrate it. And that was the case <clears throat> 10 years ago, making excuses for it. And that's when we, when we were told, we were solemnly uh, informed that, well, you know, people that are obese, it's, it's not just because they're eating. That's a simplistic, that's a, that's sim- it's a simplistic view of the matter. Well, it's, it's genetic. It's they're born that way. It's this. It's that. It's you know. It's a disability. It's a disease. And then we started to get into uh, well, okay. Well, we're celebrating obesity now. Now it's something to celebrate. But if we're celebrating it, then then we we don't need. To, why are we making excuses for it? And if we're celebrating it, then it's 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 all it's it's even better if it's a choice and something someone proudly chooses. And as we transitioned into celebrating obesity, that's when they sort of started to drop all of the excuses. And now they'll, they'll basically, in these kind of videos do, they'll openly admit that, yeah, I'm fat because I just eat constantly. I eat the worst food imaginable constantly, and I never stop eating it. I, I'm fat because I make zero effort to control my diet at all. I don't put any effort into it, and that's why I'm fat. And now they're admitting it, sort of. But we're supposed to celebrate it. Because it's their lifestyle choice. And as we know, the worst thing you can ever do is criticize somebody's lifestyle choice. Let's get to the comment section. Who's bringing shopping cards back to the rightful place? We're becoming saints. Here in the sweet baby gang. Sean says it's, it's absolutely pathetic how scared they are of the truth. That's pathetic, but it's it's also understandable in a certain way because when your whole life is set up around a lie, uh, then then you're afraid of the truth, and that's really why they're afraid of the truth because they've set up their entire lives around not just one lie but a whole series of lies. Um, and if they face the truth, then they're facing the possibility of like their their whole life coming apart, everything they thought about the world falls apart. It's a very scary prospect. Uh, not to make excuses for them at all, but that is, that's, that's what it is. I mean, that, that's what motivates a lot of this. The refusal to engage, trying to suppress and censor. It, it, it is fear-driven, but, what's, what, but it's a, it is actually a deep fear. It's a deep fear of, uh, of, of discovering that they are wrong about everything they think about the world and especially about themselves. Julia says, I can't even begin to be, imagine the pain that dad is going through. To think your own daughter would help to destroy you for trying to protect her is pure evil. It is pure evil, but not on the part of the daughter. You know, I don't blame the daughter. I, I blame everyone who brainwashed her. Um, you know, I, I'm not going to blame kids that get sucked into this cult. So the evil is on the part of the brainwashers. And this is what cults always do. And it's the same thing the trans cult does, which operates exactly like a cult. And one of the one of the one of the first things they do if they have uh, someone who who they think could be a new uh, uh, person that would be inducted into the cult, um, one of the fir- one of the one of the first things they do with a new recruit is they take that person and turn her against her family, turn her against everyone who's close to her, everyone who loves her, uh, because they they want her to know that you you can't trust any of those people, because those people are going to tell you 
that you know we're bad and that you shouldn't join this cult. But but they don't they don't they don't have your best interests. They don't really love you. We love you. Listen to us. And it's an it's a very intense form of brainwashing that really any kid could fall victim to. And that's the scariest thing about it is that um, any kid, if they encounter the wrong influences uh, and if you, you know, if they if you catch them at the wrong time in their lives and it, it, any kid could fall victim to this. Champ says you should relabel your documentary as a horror film. I've seen it three times because I love horror, especially psychological horror. The level of delusion in this film equals horror. Don Sucker is a freaking hero. Agreed on that last part and uh, sort of sort of agreed on the rest of it. I, I think you could label it more of a horror comedy. So there's el there are elements of the film that are quite funny and were, even at the time, were funny. Um, but that is also horrifying. So maybe, that, maybe that's the genre for it. Zachary says, if Elon doesn't fix this, he clearly isn't as dedicated to free speech as we all thought. You're right. He did fix it, thank God. But there was a lot at stake. Um, and we talked about this yesterday that that one of the one of the things that was one of the most fundamental things at stake here is the fact that Elon Musk is the most right wing tech big tech boss that there is, like by by a large margin. And again, that's not because he's actually an extreme far right guy. I think he's actually quite moderate, but in comparison to all the rest, he's the he's the farthest to the right. So. If he came down against us and he came down in favor of censoring these ideas and these basic truths, then that sets a precedent that would be very dangerous. Uh, but fortunately, that's not what ultimately happened. And finally, Oh Sweet Mystery says, if you feel the need to feel proud of your sexual activity, you must have done absolutely nothing in your life to actually be proud of. I think you're right, and I do think that drives a lot of this. A lot of the LGBT pride, the gay pride, the pride flags, um, all of that, and you know the, the invention. It's not just one pride flag. There's a there's a there, there's a, a pride flag for each of these individual identities and sexual proclivities, and they're always making new flags, and they're and they're changing. They change the colors on the main flag, and they make new flags, um, and and taking pride in all of these, like dividing your identity up into all these compartments, and then claiming to be so deeply proud of each little compartment. Um, I think you're correct that some of that is driven by the simple fact that um, these people have no real accomplishments in their, their lives, like nothing to really be proud of. They haven't done anything. Um, and at some level, they recognize that. So they're grasping for something to be proud of, and this is what they settle on, unfortunately. Yesterday was an incredible battle for free speech, and today we're seeing the fruit of that fight. Not only are the restrictions removed, as we talked about, but Elon personally recommended our film, What is a Woman?, to his 140 million followers, saying every parent should watch the movie. Why would we give away one of our most successful movies of all time? Well, because freedom of speech and the right to be heard on these issues uh, is essential. Um, but now we need your support. This fight is not free, and uh, we have more films to make and a lot more we want to do, more battles to win. So join us and join us now. An annual subscription to Daily Wire is what enables us to make movies like What is a Woman? If we didn't have those subscribers, this movie would not exist. Nothing else that we do would we be able to do without you. Uh, we have a lot more in the works. So go to dailywire.com slash subscribe. Use code WOMAN for 25% off your Daily Wire Plus membership. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. If you were a cadet who graduated from the Air Force Academy yesterday, things were pretty weird, even before Joe Biden tried to break out into a little trot only to fall face first on the stage in front of everybody. Historically, you know, graduations have been a time to congratulate students on their achievements, real or imagined, and to offer them advice as they embark on their careers. To that end, it's customary for commencement speakers to deliver a message affirming the graduates' potential and their value to society and so on. Uh, you probably had to sit through one of those speeches and all the accompanying cliches, and it can be quite uh, quite insufferable, but that's the way it goes. Presumably, um, that was the kind of speech cadets were expecting to hear yesterday before they got on with their lives. But Joe Biden delivered a very different kind of speech. It was, it was so ahistorical, so angry and so bizarre that it's, it's not crazy to think that Joe Biden nosedived onto the floor on purpose so that no one would ever talk about what he actually said. Standing at the podium in front of thousands of people, cadets, their families, professors, officers, 
Joe Biden explained that white people make the Air Force weaker. Biden explained that um, what makes the military strong is not its battle readiness, its skill, its training, but rather its increasing lack of white people and men. That is, of course, what leftists like Biden always mean when they tout diversity. And that's the message that Biden decided to send at his commencement. And then having delivered that message to all white cadets in attendance, essentially FU was the message, the president of the United States flew headlong into the ground. Watch. Your class is one of the diverse, most diverse classes in the history of this academy or any academy to graduate. That's why we're strong. That's why we're who we are. That's why we'll never give up. That's why. A few moments later. It's going down. That's why we're strong, he says, before collapsing to the ground. Uh, Not exactly an expert on strength, I guess. Some of the cadets who had just been forced to listen to Joe Biden's speech seemed like they didn't want anything to do with the whole situation. Here's how one female cadet responded. Watch this. Nope. Just walk slowly away. Uh, now it's, it's kind of amusing, uh, of, but, but of course, it's also, it's also a sad situation. Everyone recognizes this. And on top of that, it's, it's a major problem for the entire country because Joe Biden is the president and he's running for re-election. If he somehow wins the election, Joe Biden will be 82 years old at the start of his next term. And we all know that. It's not breaking news that the, United, that the president of the United States is unfit to serve. And by now, you're probably familiar with the spin on this incident from every side. You've probably seen all the political takes. You know, CNN made a big deal over that one time Trump tripped, but they're covering for Joe Biden, for example, that sort of thing. And that's all true. But the real question is, why is this happening? I mean, why is anyone still tolerating this? Why would anyone, even Democrats, who presumably want to field an electable candidate in 2024, make excuses for Joe Biden's obvious inability to serve as the president of the United States? For some reason, that's what they're doing. Within an hour uh, or two of Joe Biden's fall, NBC trotted out their fake historian, Michael Beskloss. And this is the guy who, who warned that your children would be murdered in the streets if Democrats lost the House in midterms last year. That didn't quite materialize, but the corporate media tells you that Beskloss is still someone that you're supposed to take seriously and trust. And yesterday, he wanted you to, to know that actually, it's normal for presidents to fall over. It happens all the time. He cited two examples. Uh, Jimmy Carter was participating in a race when he tripped, and Gerald Ford once fell down the stairs of Air Force One. Now, doubters and haters might object and point out that neither of those men fell face first while trying to walk across a flat surface, and neither man had difficulty speaking coherent English during their terms. And by the way, if, if you're keeping track at home, that's a significant problem for Joe Biden that appears to be getting worse. Here he was just a couple of weeks ago attempting to use words to convey some kind of idea. Listen. If they have to pay out $159,000 billion less for prescription drugs, then it reduces the deficit. At the risk of impugning uh, Michael Besklaus's impeccable credentials as a prudential historian, when someone trips during a foot race, but they're otherwise acting and speaking normally, It's not a big deal. But when somebody routinely has to give up on sentences, just like give up in despair in the middle of a sentence and look at his audience, like in the clip you just saw, that's alarming. And then that same person falls over while walking a couple of feet. You know, when that happens, you're not crazy for wondering if maybe this guy shouldn't be president. For the record, this is Joe Biden's second fall in a year. You might remember this incident while Biden was cycling in Delaware. Let's watch that again. Thank you. 
Hey, Mr. President. Hey, yo, oh, I'm good. President. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep up the good work. I keep on taking these, these things off. I got my foot caught in it. Mr. President, made up your mind on China tariffs, hey. Mr. President. And I'm ready to go. All right, guys. See you. Now, Michael Beskloss and his uh, colleagues at NBC understand that their job is to distract you from what you can see is clearly true. You know, he just wants to protect the leader of his party, no matter how much humiliation he brings upon his network, his profession, his family name. The former uh, Biden White House communications chief, Kate Bedingfield, also has no shame whatsoever. In response to Biden's fall, she sarcastically said, quote, I know I personally have never, ever tripped over anything a day in my life, not once. We can go on, but the point is not to humiliate a couple of soulless political operatives. Bigger point, and uh, not that there's anything wrong with humiliating them, the bigger point, and the one that's truly frightening, even if it's never mentioned, is that this is how millions of Americans think. They truly see no problem, apparently, with electing a frail and incompetent candidate like Joe Biden. That's how John Fetterman was elected senator in Pennsylvania. The one reporter who tried to cover the extent of Fetterman's mental decline was dogpiled by the rest of the media. Fetterman's wife said she should be fired. Then, when Fetterman was shamed into debating his opponent, he began by saying, good, good night, everybody, if you remember. He proceeded to ignore a question, asking him to explain his brand new position on fracking, which just happens to be the single most important economic issue in the state. And yet, and yet he won. How? Along the same lines, how is Dianne Feinstein still representing California in the Senate? Her aides are running the office. They have been for a while. It's not much of a secret. That's why Feinstein learned from the media that she wasn't running in 2024. She learned from them. Her aides put out a statement without even telling her. Both Feinstein and Fetterman are elected representatives who, through no personal fault of their own, really, are incapable of representing anyone. In Fetterman's case, he's brain damaged. In Feinstein's case, she's 89 years old and senile, and yet they're in office. And there are many more examples like this. How does that make sense? And what does it tell us about the state of the country? For those of us who have kids and, and who care about the future of the United States in the long term, these are not trivial questions. At some point, someone should think about the answers. So let's take a stab at it. Instead of, of barking, embarking on some novel theory for once, we'll, we'll do what, what the activists demand that we do. This is Pride Month, and we're told to view everything through that lens. So let's do that for a moment. And in this case, it might actually help bring some clarity, because the, the fundamental idea behind Pride Month is that people are gods. You know, basic, unchangeable elements of your humanity are, in fact, not obstacles at all, they tell you. You can change them at will. You can alter your biological sex just by saying so. You can, you can even alter your child's biological sex. Just head to Target and, and tuck uh, their penis away in an LGBTQ swimsuit. No one can judge you either, because who can judge gods? Gods judge, they aren't judged. So once you join the cult and you accept your status as a god, you can parade naked in front of children if you want. That's not pedophilia, that's pride, we're told. Pride is incompatible with religious societies because religious societies reject the idea that people are gods. That's why all these corporations that change their social media bios to include pride colors never change their bios in, in Middle Eastern countries. Say what you will about those countries, but they actually take religion seriously. They believe in God. Cor corporations know that, so they don't bother trying to shove pride down their faces over there. If they did, they'd be destroyed. But in a society that's seriously adopted the principle that underlies pride, and we have, Maybe it's not so surprising that millions of Americans have no problem with politicians who claim they can defy another fundamental element of humanity, which is aging. People get old and die. Their brains atrophy. Uh, their bodies start to wither. At a certain point, they need to go. That's always been true. And there was a point when we recognized that. George Washington decided to retire at 64, even though he could have easily sought a third term as this country's first president. He was tired and old, and he knew it. He didn't deny his humanity. He embraced it. Now our leaders sincerely believe biology doesn't limit themselves or anyone at all, whether it's children or the elderly. And that's like the mainstream position. When Jill Biden insists that it's a good idea for her husband to start a second term at the age of 82, when he can't speak or walk without falling over, we're told to just nod along. After all, Joe Biden has assumed godhood, you know, and gods don't have to retire. This is the fundamental motivation behind electing senile, brain-damaged people to lead us. Yes, partly this is a reflection of a country that has simply given up on itself. Uh, it's a manifestation of our societal apathy. But it's also a denial of mortality. 
It's a denial of another of the basic truths of human life. And you hear this from people. You hear this even from, from people who are not fans of Joe Biden. Uh, you hear from people on the right. So, you know, there's a lot of reasons not to elect Biden, but his age has nothing to do with it. Yeah, there are a lot of reasons not to elect him, but his age is definitely one of them. But we don't need to get to his age because he's also just incompetent and corrupt, uh, you know, and, and all of that. But even if that wasn't all true, it still say we can't elect this guy because the age does matter. And just because you have a grandmother who's still spry and with it at the age of 87. I got a grandmother. She's a real firecracker at 92. Uh, yeah, well, mortality still applies to her, just like it does to all of us. So you can watch that clip of Joe Biden falling at the Air Force Academy, and you could say, but Trump, and you can watch it and say, uh, but Jimmy Carter, but Gerald Ford, et cetera. You can laugh at it. You can feel sorry for Joe Biden. But the one thing you're definitely not supposed to do is notice the reason that that clip exists at all. Joe Biden is in office because of a lie that is so pervasive and intoxicating that everyone now seems to believe it, from university professors to presidents to children. You know, and the problem with, with lies is that they tend to mask very real problems. The more we delude ourselves into thinking that the impossible is reality, that people are gods, the more we're inviting consequences we can't even comprehend. And there will be many consequences if this senile, decaying old man is allowed to serve as the president of the United States for four more years. Which is why I won't say that Joe Biden is canceled, because that would be redundant at this point. But rather, the people who would actually vote for him for this, for that, are today canceled. And that'll do it for the show today and this week. Um, talk to you on Monday. Have a great weekend. Godspeed.